Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think it's going up. I honestly do because, you know, like when I came here and, and saw how everybody works, it was kind of surprising to me that they haven't been more successful, you know, the past couple of years because I'm like, you know, everyone, everyone's doing the right thing. You know, we're working hard. Everyone has the right mentality. So I think, I think it's looking up. We just got to keep it going. Wide receivers are running their nuts off. Tight ends are catching balls. They're blocking their nuts off. O-line's finishing blocks. I mean, it's, it's awesome to watch. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Heading to practice this Saturday. It's Christmas in April for me, fellas. Honk, you've been waiting a long, long time for this one. Oh, yeah. Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Yeah, in the spirit of spring ball, we're tinkering with our uh, formula this offseason, going with Zoom as opposed to our normal setup, uh, trying to bring you more of a downhill kind of podcast for the for the Husker fans out there who demand us to run the ball more. This is We're just trying to deliver. <laughs> we are simplifying the playbook. Mm-hmm. Also with Boomer. Well, I'd just like to say how excited I am to see the fruits this spring of an alumnus now head coach turning a program around and getting them back on the right track and where they need to be. And an early shout out to Paul Klempa and Nebraska women's bowling, taking home the championship and bringing it back to where it belongs. So congrats there, everyone. That's right. Uh, the Huskers are celebrating a national championship over the weekend. Uh, Honky, uh, were you in downtown Roca TPing the the trees? What? How'd you celebrate this championship? Yeah, I mean, that's how we do it every time for a natty here in Nebraska. We just, you got to TP something, but uh, no, that was great to watch. Um, actually, I watched it again the next night. They replayed it on ESPN too. It was cool. You know, and there was even a neat story. Uh, Sam McEwen posted something on Twitter today about how, you know, they had lost their first game to the 15 seed and they were sitting like on the, in out in the rain. And it just, it wasn't a very good start of the tournament, but it was how they came back from it all. And the the coach talked about how you have two choices when things go bad. And, you know, they took the choice of, you know, fighting back and, you know, they won it all. And I think that's, I guess, inspirational regardless of sport. So good for Husker bowling. And they are certainly a, we're a blue blood. We're a bowling school now, right? Is that a Disney movie you were talking about? <laughs> or is a bowling? <laughs> that was great. It was raining, lightning in the background. Painting. You got two choices. Now's the time, you know. <laughs> it's a great story. I cannot wait for it. Netflix will pick that up for sure. <laughs> I think it's like Kingpin marries the Mighty Ducks or something like that. Right, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. I'd watch that. A, a boomer. Um, how many national championships is that for women's bowling? Isn't it bowling? Like, I think is that six now, if I remember right. Six or yeah. seven NCAA yeah. sanctioned ones, and then they had yeah they like, had they had prior ones before it was an officially you know sanctioned NCAA sport, whatever the conference was or team bowling used to be. I know they had several there, so it might even be as high as like twelve if you start counting all those. But yeah, it's it's quite a few. Well, it was a different game back in those days. Well, that was <laughs> you know the technology was so different, and you know questions about you know performance enhancing mm-hmm. you know, issues back then and. 
Well, there was that. I, I seem to recall Arkansas State having a big scandal about uh, the claw machine getting rigged to make sure right. they always grabbed the lobster harmonica. You know, yep. really was a big recruiting scandal for them. Uh, the Oklahoma was the worst. You know, they were always, they were bad whatever, at it. You know. uh, all right, guys. Um, <laughs> Well, maybe we'll be uh, rooting uh, and cheering for another uh, women's national championship in a few weeks as women's volleyball starts uh, this weekend, I believe, uh, right there in Omaha. We've been a little bit of controversy there on how the NCAA is running that. Go figure. But uh, hopefully um, the Huskers do what we expect and, and compete for national title. Yeah, you know, and uh, Redcasters can go to that game this weekend and they could be wearing their finest Redcast gear now that you can buy online. That's right. The uh, Redcast uh, merchandise is now available on uh, the Hurt App website. Is that right, Hunky? Yeah, we posted some stuff on social media for that. that there's a sweatshirt. There's polo right now. You can get a hat. There's also, I think, a phone cover. So that's the beginning of it. There's going to be more over time. But uh, we have links right now on our social media to it. And uh, I know I've already got some stuff coming in the mail for me. I know... Uh, Redcast Rob, too. So you'll be seeing it certainly at the spring game. It answers the eternal question as to what to get dad or mom for Christmas. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, Redcast merch. It, right. You know, it's a it's a beautiful stocking stuffer. Comes straight from the heart. I know my mom's going to get some. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> doesn't even just have to be Christmas, does it? I mean, no, not at all. For any holiday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some in my trunk at all times. Mother's Day. Just around the corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want to give your mom around. flowers or you want to give her a Redcast hoodie? I mean, which one would she appreciate more? Yeah, a phone cover. <laughs> uh, well, Hunk, you did mention uh, that you're going to go to practice uh, on, on Saturday, I believe. So that's got to be pretty exciting for you. You're going to look for any particular players on Saturday? What are, what are you trying to eye out there? Yeah, well, that was actually something on social media. We asked a couple of questions on Monday. And so we're still getting responses on this, but uh, what are you most excited to see on offense quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, or O-line. And right now it's, it's almost a dead tie on offense between running backs and O-line on defense between D-line inside linebackers, outside linebackers and DBs. Uh, the D-line is what Redcasters want to see the most right now. And then the last question was just kind of a generic, you know, besides offense and defense, what other things are you most excited to see? And I had new players on campus, uh, the strength and conditioning, the physicality of the team, special teams, and then other new players on campus was the number one thing there. So, you know, I'll keep an eye on certainly those 12, 13 new guys that are on campus between uh, recruits and transfers and everything. I'll keep an eye on those. And I'm really interested in seeing both sides of the line, the offensive line and the D line. In fact, uh, Rob Zaska with uh, doc talk you know he responded to this and said that we misspelled o-line all but one time on these uh polls and that's true <laughs> right i mean that's how important that is uh the o-line needs to be great this year we know that and uh, i'm going to be real interested to watch both sides of the trenches yeah mac um if you were going to request a honky something to keep an eye on uh what would be your request of of matthew here i mean all my biggest questions are on the offensive side of the ball. What I'd like to watch the most probably is on the defensive side, at least for spring. But yeah, if I was going to have him key in on something, I mean, it's, it's no mystery, but that running back position is, is a humongous position of need. And it's uh, completely, it's going to be filled with guys who have no production. I mean, steps gone for spring. So it's going to be somebody new regardless. So that's going to be a position 
it, it'd be nice to see somebody actually not necessarily somebody shine, but if they're all looking good, you know, you want to see either production across the board or somebody stepping above because short of that, it would be, it would be a little disappointing. You know, Mac, it is amazing, right? We, we do the show last week. We highlight the, the offense. We're going to talk defense here in a little bit. And we talk about step as one of the prime candidates at running back. And then the next day they announced that he's out for spring practice with his injury. And then it seems like like five out of the six scholarship running backs are not even practicing, right? It's pretty much down to the Gabe Irvin yeah. and uh, Jaquez Yant, the uh, preferred walk-on, yeah. right? And it's just like, how, how can these guys not stay healthy even through the first week of spring ball? But it, I, at the same time, I'm excited to see Irvin and Yant practice. Probably one of the more frustrating position groups in Frost's tenure here because it's it hasn't been without talent at times, but consistency has just been out the window, never close. And I'll be interested to see who's actually on the field right. this Saturday because it changes from, from day to day. You know, just last week as we were recording, at that time, oh, there was all this talk about Omar Manning not being a part of a practice and being out for whatever reason. And, oh, no, that became the narrative. And then – on Friday, they had the scrimmage and Manning was a part of it and was a successful part of it. And the wide receiver core looked really good. So right now, I'm not sure what to expect with the running backs. When I get there on Saturday, uh, we might see two of them. We might see three. We might see four. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I'm certainly hoping to be able to see enough of it to where you get a, a feel for what at least half of that room looks like. And we talked about that leading up to spring ball. There's six guys in that room right now. And the non-negotiable that we want for the football season for fall is three guys that can go 20 carries at any given time in the game. That's kind of what we're looking for. We're not looking for a bell cow. We're looking for yeah. three guys that can carry the load. Held made that statement last week that, you know, we don't really have a bell cow out of the group right now, but we want to get consistency out of a number of guys that can all perform. Right. One thing you don't want to see at the running back position is a wide receiver playing running back. So <laughs> that's hopefully true. that's something that we'll, we'll actually get to see running backs playing the running back position. I don't care how deep they go down the depth chart. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Boomer, you may not actually get to see have Honky see a whole lot of special teams in practice and maybe some drills, I guess. But we did actually see uh, ESPN release their FBI projections, a, a fresh set of FBI and uh, Honky will be watching a team that has a 54.9% chance of getting up to six wins. What do you think about that projection by FBI? Hey, so they're saying there's a chance, right? So, I mean, I guess going into the season, that's probably the floor of what I'd consider success. So I hope that's the case, that they reach that, you know, six wins. Anything less than that, I think everybody on this podcast would say would probably be disappointing. You know, the FPI is kind of an interesting monster, not a guarantee, you know, it's not like a Vegas over-under, but it's just kind of a interesting approach to numbers. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we saw some FPI numbers earlier this year. Uh, Hell Varsity, I think, actually had an article about it where I think, you know, a lot of FPI is based off of returning production. And when you had Wandell Robinson and you know, McCaffrey uh, coming back, you had better returning production on the offensive side, I suppose, and that, that actually gave us a better ranking at, at that time. But Honky, that's honestly, and considering kind of the shifting of gears of how this offense seems like it's um, focused, not only on on running, but also the, the big body receivers, it seems like a very different offensive um, approach. And I don't know how much I'm that concerned about the lack of returning production on some of those skill positions. 
Yeah, it doesn't mean much of anything to me because look at the production from the running game a year ago, six, seven games in the season, the top three runners, none of them were from the running back position. And it wasn't until the last game where uh, Dedrick Mills goes out and gets 180 whatever yards that he even cracks into that top three. That's going to have to be different this year no matter what. It's a different style of offense, essentially, or at least a different focus on offense to get that running back room involved. It's a non-negotiable. I know we've said that so many times, but there are three areas that we've talked about this spring that we wanted to see the team focus on, and I'm seeing the coaching staff continuously focus on it, and that is you got to clean up mistakes, we got to get those running backs involved, and special teams cannot be what special teams have been. And all three of those things, I mean, look, you know, it's coach speak until we get to see it on the field, right? I mean, you're going to have the Husker realist is going to say, show it to me, but that's what I'm expecting to see. That's what I'm going to be looking for on Saturday is I want to see special teams being a part of practice. I want to be seeing running backs getting involved and I don't want to be seeing, you know, guys jumping off sides and lining up wrong and fumbling and dropping catches and all that kind of stuff and overthrows to wide open guys clean up the mistakes, get the running backs involved, play some special teams, and this team could be pretty good. Hawk, one thing I would I would piggyback on that, too, of, of the three things that you mentioned. A fourth thing, and I'm just curious, is if you guys, I'm, see, I'm sure you've seen some of the Twitter videos and the stuff they're putting out, always fantastic. But one overarching thing is always physicality, right, and hitting mm-hmm. in practice. And I've really seen with those, these videos, I feel like they've amped up the physicality in practice. It looks like it is. At least there's been a lot of hitting in the videos I've seen and hard hitting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, maybe it's just, the, you know, it's editing. Who knows? But I mean, are you getting that sense as well? Well, I'll tell you what. I posted something that Ohio State posted last weekend, and that was they did the circle drill and they were all excited about, you know, Ohio State. Yeah, you know, circle drill. And it's, it's this big physical part of the practice, right? I mean, two dudes going right up against each other. If there was anything like that. On Saturday, I'd be ecstatic. I, you know, I guess we've called it the Oklahoma drill too, but any time you get guys in just direct physical contact kind of scenarios like that in practice, I, Mac, I think one of the videos you're talking about and Oregars has been doing just amazing work, mm-hmm. big shout out to him Knocking and out his part, team. Yeah. But uh, one of the, I think the one you're probably talking about too, is the Cam Taylor Britt one, where he literally just runs a dude over. And Yeah, that's a perfect example of one. But I've just seen other ones, you know, where they slow-mo and they're, and they're mm-hmm. hitting and tackling in a scrimmage. And it's pretty live. And the guys are really are flying around a lot. It's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, one other thing, since you're talking about physicality, that I would be interested in, we brought this up every other spring ball, so it's I need to be consistent and bring it up again. Quarterbacks. I'm not expecting them not to be wearing green. They'll, they'll be wearing green jerseys, no doubt. But still, how much pressure can you put on them? How much of a live game feeling can you put specifically on Harburg and on Smothers? I'm not as interested right now in Martinez that way. We've He's had three years of live bullets. But those two guys behind him, how much pressure situations can they get those guys in, in a practice? I would like to see that. I, I'm expecting mm-hmm. green. But uh, that doesn't mean that you can't have guys flying around and having to make them, you know, make some quick decisions and, and see what they can do. What would you guys want to see out of those two quarterbacks? Just like comparison to point of view, obviously you want both of them to excel with, you know, actual decision-making, et cetera. But I mean, maybe what you're looking at, I mean, I, I'm hearing uh, Henrik Harburg's got a, a live arm, right? So I think maybe I'd like to see him 
you know, make some throws, but also, you know, what does he look from just a running style perspective? He's a big kid, right, Mac? He's six mm-hmm. five, six six. Yeah. So what does he look like in the open field? And then obviously I want to see how fast Smothers actually is, right? Yeah, with both of them, it's kind of like the opposite quality you want to see. With Harburg, you want to see the the athleticism and see how that looks when, when related to other college athletes. With Smothers, you want to see, can he thread the needle? Is, is he able to push the ball down the field? Both of those things are kind of what I'm looking for. Like I, I think Smothers' athleticism is well documented, but he's been completely hidden his entire time here. I mean, there, there, has, there hasn't hardly been any practice video of this kid. And, you know, we've already seen a lot of that with Harburg, and, and Frost has brought him up a couple times. So, you know, when he got here, I didn't give it much thought. Uh, you know, just he was a local kid, and I thought it was cool and everything like that. But looking into him a little bit more, man, that kid's – He's pretty athletic, and and he might be a sneaky good guy to have on the team. Mm-hmm. To piggyback off that, Mac, you know, with both guys, I want to see him throwing the ball down the field because that's something that we heard so much about last year. And, Dave, you talked about how much do you compare FPI rankings of offense a year ago to this year. Well, if we're throwing the ball down the field, that's already something that we weren't doing a year ago, right? I mean, it's a change. It's something different. And we've talked about at nauseum how the need to do it. And now we have these big receivers that can stretch the field. So I want to see how those – QBs can get the ball down the field. And while we're at it, I'd like to see how snaps are to them, not just with Jurgens, but if a backup quarterback is getting a snap from a backup center, I want to see how that looks because that falls under the mistakes category that we need to clean up. We certainly can't be having balls flying all over the place on snaps. And this is the one I'm going to keep harping on this one, the huddle. Do we ever huddle? Do I ever see us break huddle? I'm, believe me, I'll be keeping an eye open. And if I even see it one time, that's I'm going to report that like you know some of the media report things out of a, out of a practice. You're going to just you're going to just see tweets flying from us on Saturday about we broke a huddle. <laughs> You'll Watch have out. photographs from eight different angles. You know, <laughs> like how did Honky do that? <laughs> what about the wide receivers, Honky? Any particular wide receivers you want to hone in on, or I want to see Tory in person just because there's been so much buildup about him. Andy, off I've seen enough video of him in Montana, I want to see him on the field and see how different, what a difference maker he might be compared to what we've had before. You know, he talked about how he played slot when he got to Montana his first year. So he's actually excited to be back in that position. He feels like he has better matchups against linebackers and safeties playing that spot than being on the outside. So I want to see some of those lineup combinations of having Tory on the inside and having bets outside him and, and go and let's see what Omar does when he gets out there. And it, it should be a really good room to, to kind of watch. And, and I want to see some guys making some plays. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see if Torre matches up versus Taylor Britt, for example. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it'd be great to see that one-on-one two potential NFL uh, prospects there and hopefully uh, both getting better with the competition on the field in practice. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that goes for other positions too. a tight end going up against maybe Rhymers, you know, as an example, like I'd love to see just a couple different combinations of offense versus defense player versus player. That could be interesting. I, and I'll kind of take note of that. Um, Mac, you sent me a photo was it Vokalik blocking somebody? Yeah. <laughs> His, yeah. You were like, I mean, he looked like the Hulk. He was huge. <laughs> That's the thing. And, and, and it's the audio that we had at the very beginning of this show, Samari Tori talking about how when he got here, he's shocked that we haven't won more games than we have because he's like, you're, we're doing all the things right. And he sees it. He's, he's part of the program right now. He's like, everyone's doing the right things. Like, 
at some point that has to add up. The strength and conditioning is there. These dudes look more than look the part. Yeah. We're a big team. Like you look at our guys. I'm like, it's noticeable. We're tall Mm -hmm. and huge and athletic and it's everywhere. It's not just in spots, man. It's everywhere. Well, honk your observations on Saturday are, are much awaited to hear by the red cast. Um, and I'm sure you'll report back next week a little bit. But, you know, this is a, an opportunity for um, a small amount of fans as well as the media, as, as well as some recruits potentially to get mm-hmm. in and actually uh, see the Huskers practice on Saturday. That'll be the case again with the spring game on May 1st. And then uh, that's leading up to the first big weekend of recruiting when the uh, dead period finally lifts, which is in June, right? Correct. Yeah. And so – there could be recruits already there this weekend. Certainly there's recruits, uh, Ernest Hausman. I saw him, uh, the Columbus kid post that he got his tickets for the spring game, which that's crazy. That's how these recruits are having to do it. They're having to get tickets to the game, but that's the world we live in right now. And then it's that first weekend of June, like June 5th. There's a number of kids that have already been posting that uh, they're going to be making the trek up here. I think I've heard that we've got a couple of 2022 quarterbacks coming in. I'm not quite sure if it's for the spring game or maybe that first weekend in June, uh, MJ Morris and uh, Torres, right? Two of our kind of top targets uh, for the quarterback room in that 2022 class. Yeah. And even tonight, uh, 2023 quarterback, uh, Reese Mooney, he had pledged to play baseball at Houston, but he made the official decommitment tonight. I think he's set to come here in early June too. So, I mean, Mac right there, that's three quarterbacks from the 2022 and 23 classes. The recruiting hasn't stopped. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they're going full pedal trying to get these guys on the campus now, especially once this dead period's done at the end of May. Yeah. It's going to be, a, I think a real kind of blitz from here on out, just trying to get a lot of stuff crammed into a short amount of time. And, you know, the quarterback's such a flagship part of your of your recruiting class. The, the sooner you can get a top-shelf guy or just at least your guy into the class, the better to help, you know, peer recruit and get that stuff rolling. Everything everything this year is delayed, and it's going to be kind of strange the way it flows. And Nebraska being such an interesting recruiting climate and, and that you need to get players here to see it to really buy in, I mean, it's just going to be a slow roll. And then it might hit real fast and furious. That's kind of how I think it'll go. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems that way, Mac, right? Because if you're going to have, you know, maybe five or six guys here for that first weekend of June, and you might do that again, uh, because all these kids, I'm sure there's like just this pent up demand for these official visits, right? Where they're actually paid uh, by the schools. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be like this intense competition to kind of, you know, especially from a quarterback position to get your spot, right? And so I think you're right. We might see a quarterback commit in June pretty quick. It's time to throw the bones. Holy cow, man. They're fast. They're fast. Not even just tempo-wise, but just the way they move and how they, how they play now is that you can tell the massive step they took. Um, this, it's the, the finishing blocks. They drive downfield. It, it's been awesome uh, to play against. So it's made me better as a player, made us better as a defense. Um, no, they kick it up, kick it up one period, and we come back as a defense and, oh, hey, we can't let these guys push us around. We give it back to them, and it feeds the whole practice and gets competitive and ramps up and makes everybody better. So having that pace that they have and having that finishing mentality that they have is, has really picked up, and it's seen. It, and for me personally, I have seen that improvement. Um, you know, not to get the whole hype train 
barreling into a brick wall or anything, but the improvement's there. So it's, it's exciting to watch. All right, guys, we're throwing the bones and taking a deep dive on the defensive side of the ball. This will be helpful for uh, Honky's observations on Saturday and, uh, you know, as we get ready for the spring game. Let's uh, let's start with the trenches and look at the D-line first. I'll start with you, Mac. We have a lot of returning depth here, uh, thanks to Ben Stilley coming back, Damian Daniels. Got a lot of youth as well. Um, what are you looking for here in the D-line? Ty Robinson. I know that's that's kind of an obvious one, but, I mean, I, that, that's a guy who's truly – ready to make a humongous jump. I mean, he was kind of playing on some athleticism and instinct last year. He's got a condensed year, a shortened year, but it's still a year of playing time and it was all big 10 games. So he's going to be seasoned coming back. Um, and then as a new guy, I think Messiah Newsom. I mean, every time I see pictures of him in the back, I don't know, like the, the weightlifting videos, he's put on good weight. He'd be a cool guy to see come along, steal somebody from Iowa, make it hurt. I, I don't mind being vindictive in my depth chart choices at all. <laughs> Yeah, I think Mosiah Newsom definitely is one to keep an eye on, Honk. I mean, he's definitely probably primed now um, with a couple years in the program. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think he's held back a little bit with injuries initially, but that could be uh, a guy that could get within that rotation. I think I've heard uh, two already talk about, like, you know, he wants eight, nine guys in the rotation, right? Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of injuries, DeAndre Thomas is someone that, you know, he seems he's always kind of had, you know, some kind of injury bug affecting him only played two games I think it was last year so I'd like to you know get a good eye on him on Saturday see how he's looking out there performing I agree with Mac on Ty Robinson uh, Casey Rogers those guys played a lot last year and I want to see how big Damian Daniels is he is a big 10 nose tackle and a real difference maker out there and uh, I think you know Jordan Riley. I'd be interested to see what kind of shape he is in now with a really a good offseason under his belt. And you know, those are the young guys too. I mean, Nash Hutmacher, the polar bear. What's he looking like coming off of a off of an offseason? And Raquan Buckley, he's the true freshman that's here. He's like six five, two eighty five, but a, a true freshman. And so you know, they've said that he's been doing a great job in the in the weight room. I uh, really like to see him out there on the field. Mac, is there a, a sleeper out there that you have in mind to see if someone could emerge, uh, someone we maybe you've kind of forgotten about a little bit, but you still still have hope for? I mean, dark horse-wise, Dave, I, w- I would probably stick with Messiah Newsom. I think this is going to be a really hard depth chart to get through, so if he plays, it'll, it'll be a good sign. Let's move on and talk about linebackers. Here's another one where we have a, a couple of extra returning uh, starters, uh, but also a lot of young guys coming up, depth upon depth. It feels like a little bit here. Let's start with the outside linebackers first, all right? So we're looking for these uh, outside rushers, guys that can do a lot of stuff, guys like JoJo Doman, maybe someone like Buddha Wright is now in that play, right? Other thoughts on outside linebacker? You know, I think we have a couple of guys that it'll be interesting to see if they play outside. You know, Henrik, Mac, you brought him up mm-hmm. a week or two ago where if the inside linebacker depth, which we'll talk about in a moment, if that's strong enough, then maybe a Henrik gets moved out to the outside. I'd like to see uh, the potential of that. It, the length that he brings and the playmaking abilities that he brings could be perfect for that role. And then you have JoJo, who's in that kind of that hybrid safety slash outside linebacker role. Dawson has talked about who are some of the options kind of behind JoJo in that same role, which Gifford is one. Uh, I believe Javen Wright has been uh, kind of thrown into that mix too. And so that's kind of an interesting position because there's so much you can do, so much versatility with how they use that kind of outside linebacker. 
Vildarius Payne is another one that comes to mind as maybe that could be someone that actually can be deployed um, with a pass rush. Yeah, I mean, I think his film last year was encouraging enough to think that's a guy that could make a step in the right direction. He switched his number to zero. I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, <laughs> but he looks he looks faster <laughs> in zero. No, but he does look like he hit the weight room really hard, and, and the role for pass rusher has yet to be filled. So that that's a position mm-hmm. wide open for someone to come in and take. And another guy, I, you know, I know we're always in a quick rush to get the next new guy. I'm as guilty of, of that as anybody, but I, I tell you what, Caleb Tanner still being here and having this many years now with Duvall, and, and this many years of the position, I, that's a guy I still had. I think he could still turn a corner. You know, I've seen it before in guys about this stage of their career. I mean, Philip Dillard comes to mind as a guy who was sort of an underperformer. And then, you know, towards the tail end, just really starts to get it. And I think if, if that if there's a guy on the team on defense that maybe could come out of not necessarily out of nowhere, but an unexpected role, I think Caleb Tanner might be the guy. Well, and he's a perfect example, Mac, of someone that came here undersized and right. didn't get the benefit of a redshirt year right away. So he played earlier than he probably should have. And it's been a development process to get him to a point now where I I physically, I really am excited to see what he looks like on Saturday. I don't have any reason to think that he's not going to look like a, a Big Ten outside linebacker. I mean, this guy's going to be built up now through three off seasons of, of Duvall and the War Daddy Up movement. Um, I definitely think that uh, he's someone to keep an eye on. And then the guy that we heard coming into the break here was Garrett Nelson talking about the defense. And, you know, that's the guy. It's almost like you talk about him last because there's nothing flashy about him, but he just does things right. He's makes plays by not making plays sometimes, you know, he's the guy that, that does his job. And it, you know, I saw such growth in him last season. Mm -hmm. There were times where you saw the defense start to look like, I know Shenander wants it to look like guys would dart off in a direction, not where the run, the runner was, but you could tell that they were going to a spot because they were cutting something up. They were playing contained. They were whatever it was that they were doing. It was within the kind of the, the realm of what the defense was supposed to be doing. And then we always ended up making the tackle, you know, and our D line was holding up two offensive linemen on plays and taking up blocks so that the linebackers could make the plays. I mean, it just started to look like a cohesive unit a year yeah. ago and, Geez, nine, ten of those guys are back. Yeah. Garrett Nelson's always one of those guys, you know, he'd play at 100 miles an hour, but it wasn't necessarily in the mm-hmm. right direction. And with all the time he's he's had now, and you could, you were right, because towards the end of the season last year, he was going in the right direction. And he's still going 100 miles an hour. You know, that's got to – athleticism – it gets overrated sometimes with knowledge and desire and willingness. And and he's got those other three categories in spades. Mm-hmm. You know, Dave, uh, I think we're going to probably do a weekly Chaz and SoCal uh, tweet. And uh, from this week, uh, he had one that said, here's a preseason stat you'll never see again. Huskers returned 19 of the top 21 tacklers on defense from last season. Everyone who had four or more tackles on defense in 2020 returns, but two the top eight tacklers and nine of the top 10 all return. I mean, that's not a bad place to be starting from. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what happens when you get a uh, six year seniors. Right. And we mm-hmm. have Jojo Doman is one of those uh, uh, super seniors at the outside linebacker position in the inside linebacker position. We have Will Honus as one of those super seniors and he'll be leading that crew with, the likes of uh, Luke Reimers and Heinrich and others. Uh, well, let's talk about the inside linebackers, Hunk. 
it starts with Honus and Reimers. And then I think Chris Kolarevich, uh, the transfer from Northern Iowa, really excited to see him. I think defensively, you know, some of the experience he brings from an FCS level, which is a lot. I mean, he played a lot of snaps over the last few years. He might be able to have similar leadership qualities that he brings to the defensive side that Torrey has been bringing to the offense. And that will be interesting to see how that plays out. Reimer is just such a physically different guy from, I think, Honus and Kolarevich. I mean, Reimer is a speed dude at the inside spot. And the way that they can blitz him and do things inside the tackles with him is a little bit different. But the fact of the matter is all three of those guys I see playing almost equal reps probably this year. Yeah, Mac, a lot of options here. Uh, And again, uh, the theme here, we have got depth because of the super seniors, but a lot of young guys. Who are you looking for here on the inside linebacker spot? I mean, this would be a a good time for Garrett Snodgrass to step up. I do think, obviously, Hendrich is, I think he'll eventually be a star here at Nebraska. And Mm -hmm. the the concern I have at the inside linebacker position is simply this. we're already hearing a, little, a few dings and nicks against Will Honus, and he's kind of had a little bit of a checkered history at that inside linebacker position. So depth is going to be key. Developing somebody right behind Hendrick is is a is also paramount. And you know Randolph Kapai, maybe he's the guy. And he's I, I wouldn't look for somebody too young. Mm-hmm. I think we have like Snodgrass seems like a perfect opportunity for him to come in. And then don't forget Jackson Hanna, you know former four star. You know, that's that's still in the pipeline and still here. Snodgrass is definitely, I think, the next guy up behind those top three. Uh, Kapai was someone I was going to bring up. If nothing else, it's consistent with what Redcasters have been telling us in the polls that they want to see, which is they want to hear about new players. Well, Kapai from Sioux Falls, he is on campus here this offseason. So he will be someone that's out there on Saturday and, you know, brings a, a lot of talent. I know we're going to talk about special teams in a little bit with, you know, Boomer here. If nothing else, do some of those freshmen, if they're not going to find their way onto the field as an inside linebacker this year, are they going to be on kickoff teams and punt return teams and that, those kind of areas? Is that how they're going to make their mark? Yeah. You know, a, a name that I was excited about last year from the JUCO market was uh, Mayuga Clements, right? We haven't heard much from him. Seemed like he had a lot of lot of possibilities, but um, maybe he can make a move this year as well. Yeah, he'll need to because if he doesn't, I mean, yeah. we haven't heard much of him. And you just heard all the other names that we just said in front of him. So, you know, Juco guys don't come in to sit the bench. You're either you're coming in to make a move pretty quick. And uh, hopefully that's something that he's able to do here still this spring. Yep. Got a little bit of a free pass last year with the COVID thing. But Mm -hmm. but yeah, he needs to make a move this year. All right, guys. Well, let's move on to uh, the secondary and let's go outside in again cornerback position i think one of them is one of the biggest no-brainers with uh, cam taylor Britt, um, probably one of the uh, most highly regarded nfl prospects on the roster um he's really trying to improve draft stock at this point and we're excited to see how well he could perform as a shutdown corner this year but that other cornerback position seems to be pretty wide open a lot of options there as well and since uh, fisher trains everybody to play cornerback and safety it seems like he's got a lot of options yeah, the guy I really want to see is Nadab Joseph. Again, we're so quick to throw guys aside when they don't come out and immediately on day one live up to all the billing. And, and last offseason, Nebraska had the number two and number three JUCO recruits in the country with Omar Manning and Nadab Joseph. And 
it was a crazy COVID year. And it was also sometimes with JUCOs, they get here late and they don't have the full opportunity to acclimate to the environment and don't have the off season of workouts and all those things. Well, there's still the talent there. I mean, all the talent that made them the, the big recruit that they were a year ago, they still have it, but now they've had the opportunity to have some time here to get acclimated, to have an off season. And so I'm really interested. I think Joseph is a guy I want to watch him focus on him uh, and really see him going up again. I want to see a couple of one-on-ones with him and Manning or Torre or, or Betts. No, I think that's a good point. I think uh, Joseph wasn't even really eligible to play until mm-hmm. halfway through the season, right? And then he gets yep. injured like in the second or third game on, on special teams. So we just didn't have a lot of opportunity to, to see him. And I think he's got a lot of talent there. But he's got guys like Braxton Clark and Quentin Newsom, both hopefully health, healthy and ready to compete for that other spot. Mac, who do you think is going to win that? Coming out of the gate, I would say – Simply because the two of the guys are coming off injury, I'd say Newsom's probably the front runner, but I have no backing to that whatsoever. But here's the good news, I guess, in my mind is of the three, I'm happy with any of them. I mean, if if one of those guys starts, I'm like, yeah, that that guy's that's a talented guy or Braxton Clark. That's a really tall guy. I'm like, all these guys make sense. They all fit the mold. It's not it's not a compromise. And we're three deep there. And, you know, and, and we're lucky because we have an anchor like Cam Taylor Britt on the, on the outside and the other side, but I'm telling you, that's not even getting into the freshman who I've heard really good things about or Tamon Lynham, who's still on there. You know, we've got some depth there. I, I'm mm-hmm. really curious how Fisher's going to parse that out. Like the nickelback could be a really interesting position. Look at this photograph. I was just going to ask that Mac is like, yeah, who would actually be the, the nickel in, uh, in that type of formation? Well, the problem with the nickelback is then you run into guys like Noel Gates, right? Like there's a guy that I think they're, I don't know if it's Fisher specifically that said it. Yeah, I think it was Fisher said that he's ready now. Like he's, he's about ready to come out and, and mm-hmm. really make a difference. And fantastic, you know, even though they all arrive at the same time, not everybody's ready to play at the same time. He stuck it out. Fisher's trained him up. That's a guy who's ready to go. That nickel position, man, I don't know, Honk. What do you think? Who, who are your front runners for that? Well, you know, this even doubles a little bit with what we talked about earlier with the outside linebacker spot with well, sure. JoJo. Yeah, Joe, yeah, that, totally. that kind of hybrid position, is that kind of the makeshift nickel in some ways? Because you're talking about similar names that are half outside linebacker, half safety. When you're talking about Javen Wright and you're talking about totally. Gifford and you're talking about JoJo, I mean, those are guys that can kind of move around a little bit. But pure nickelback, Pola Gates was one of the first names that came to my mind too, Mac. I mean, I just I think of him as being, you know, one of those guys that could kind of fit into that fifth spot in the secondary mm-hmm. if we're in a, a pass-heavy defense. But, you know, at the same token, all those cornerbacks we just said, I mean, if it was Cam Taylor-Britt and let's say Joseph, let's say those are our starting corners and, you know, it's third and 17, we need to throw a third corner on the, on the field and they put in Clark or they throw in Quentin Newsom. Right. I mean, any one of those – the fact that Fisher trains the way he does, everyone is supposed to be able to kind of play any one of the positions. And I know we hear that a lot. And you hear that with the O-line and that's nothing unique. I don't think to, to Nebraska there, but it's just that it, there's a lot of dudes. There's a lot of names yeah. that we just said. And I think I'm excited to watch them, but I also think that they all have the talent to to do what we're asking them to do. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe they go with a, a safety in that nickel role a little bit, just simply because our other two safeties are seniors and have been playing forever and just try to get some of those safeties on the field to play a little bit. Maybe that's what the nickelback role could be. 
I was just going to get there, Mac. You're right. I mean, let's let's transition to safety. But another name that we haven't thrown out yet for that nickel and someone who picked a few balls off last year was Miles Farmer, right? And if he can come back healthy, mm-hmm. uh, that's another name you got to throw out there, right? Yeah, that's the big thing with him right now. It's just I, I don't know where he's at in his recovery. Obviously, he had the injury. I think it was the Purdue game. Uh, so that was kind of late in the season. But we saw what he did against Northwestern. Uh, another guy, Mac, that I know you love the the size that oh, God, Farmer yeah. brings to the to the yeah. secondary. I mean, I think I saw a photo of him in practice, and he was standing next to Dismuke and Williams, and just towered over them. I think. yeah, I know I know what you're talking about. I'm always hesitant on those kind of like how much closer to the camera was he? Mm-hmm. He's bigger. He's certainly bigger. I think he's like six two, six three, and neither of those guys are over six foot. I don't think. But mm-hmm. the way the picture looked, he did look like six four to six foot. But he's a big dude. You know, it's amazing that we're talking about safeties here, and and we have two of the uh, super seniors with Markel Dismuke, the last of the uh, Calabrasca crew, and uh, Deontay <laughs> Williams, who I think is, um, you know, obviously already buying a house next to Mac um, uh, <laughs> as our our starters, and it's uh, that's a luxury, right? And this is where you're getting all that returning production on the defensive side from the tackles, etc. We know what the, these guys can do. We also know that they can occasionally uh, maybe get a, a red card, if you will, right, and uh, get oh, a, a a targeting call. So it's good that we have some depth behind them, but it's uh, great to have that type of leadership. Yeah, depth will be key when it comes to targeting calls. That's a great <laughs> point. Man. Honestly, that is a fantastic point because at any given moment, you could be in for at least a half, you know. <laughs> those, those boys like to hit, man. Deontay Williams is a problem. He is a 90s safety playing in the 20s, you know, and, and that's no good for him. That guy likes to play violent. Bless yeah, his heart. That's the truth. All right, Honk. Um, I think you mentioned special teams, so we could um, touch on that here. Is there anybody else on the defensive side before I uh, hand it over to Boomer? Well, actually, maybe that's how we hand it over to Boomers. We just threw out a lot of names and guys that are from freshman up to senior and everything. You know, are there certain position groups that you'd like to see heavily involved in special teams? You know, is it, is it a secondary and linebacker thing? I mean, what are you looking for when you're trying to start to build some of your, your special team units up? Well, uh, first thing I think kind of goes back to just the general philosophy of special teams. We know that's been a problem here for years. And, you know, we've heard, uh, you know, Coach Beckton even say the assistants as a collective staff did a bad job at it last year for whatever reason, you know, lack of focus or lack of attention. And, and I think trying to go through, you know, that middleman of the the analyst role being in charge of it's probably a challenge too. So, you know, they've regrouped and, you know, now we have a actual special teams coordinator. So hopefully that's going to work. And we've heard that that's kind of a, they're starting practices with that. At least that's what uh, Levi Falk said. And um, I think that was what the media said when they were able to watch a practice last week. You know, we've seen them supposedly focusing more on fundamentals. You know, you've got, you know, wide receivers, you have practicing blocking gunners, Greg Austin playing a role in that, you know, Ryan Held doing one-on-ones with linemen, you know, and our defensive backs are, you know, practicing punt coverage. Coach even said with defensive backs, he expects all of them to, to start on special teams at some point, you know, in their careers here, if they want to start as a, as a DB. So, you know, you've got that going for you. And I think, uh, you know, just as far as what we need in special teams, you know, we're, in pretty good shape as far as, you know, place kicking goes, you know, Connor Colt did a fine job at that last, last season. You know, we, we've talked about how bad special teams has been, but it hasn't 
completely been a dumpster fire. You know, we were great at field goals and great at uh, the extra points last season. So, you know, you've already got that in your back pocket. You don't have to worry about that. So the big things to be concerned with is punting which we were god-awful at last year. I think we were dead last. They're actually second to last in the net punting last year, so that's a bad sign. And we were uh, dead last in net kickoffs last year, which is a bad sign. You know, Connor was mm-hmm. our place kicker for kickoffs. Doesn't really seem to have the leg to get it in the, to the end zone as much for that, so hopefully we'll be able to find someone to maybe fill that role or at least cover better. You know, we did have several returns for touchdowns at very inopportune moments that'll definitely kill any average there. As far as punting goes, we're just hoping we actually see that punter develop. You know, Daniel Cerny, we've heard a lot about him for a season or two. We just haven't been able to see him play. So hopefully, you know, this this spring and summer, he can avoid getting sucker punched by a wallaby or something like that. And we can actually <laughs> see the Australian out there yeah. and see what he can actually do. So that'll be that'll be key there because, you know, it doesn't take a huge improvement to make that so much better to go up from, you know, 14th to 13th to 7th in your winning games in this conference because of that. You know, I think there's even chances for some of our, you know, some of the running backs that we haven't really talked about yet to maybe have a chance at returning. You know, we had Ramir Johnson returning last, you know, returning some kicks last year. You know, you might have an opportunity for someone like, uh, you know, Gabe Irvin. You know, he's been described as slippery by the coaches. Perfect mm-hmm. opportunity for him maybe to, to get out there and see what see what he can do. Or, um, what's the the transfer from Florida, the, the walk-on, that yuck is Yant yeah. or Yant? Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's yeah. another opportunity for running back to to see some time there returning, you know. He's been described as abrasive. Yeah, exactly. You got slippery and abrasive. You got fire and ice. Slippery you know? so, and abrasive. Yeah, slippery and abrasive, fire and ice. In the middle, you got lukewarm water, so we're in good shape here. So. That would be the best nickname. Slippery and abrasive. <laughs> One-two punch. You, well, you, you know, Boomer, Daniel Cerny, the punter, that is certainly someone that I'm interested in seeing because we didn't get to see him a year ago. From the kickoff perspective, We've seen Connor Colt for a year do it. I don't know that he's going to be the answer next year, but the guy that I think that could be the answer isn't going to be on the field this Saturday, and that's that Kellen Meyer walk-on from Ord. I wouldn't be shocked at all to see him come onto campus, and if he can just be – if all he does next year, if his only focus is doing nothing but doing kickoffs, that's more than worth it. He's worth every bit of that walk-on and hopefully you know can earn a scholarship at some point doing that too for – Redcasters that, you know, I forgot he's the one that I believe he kicked a 57 or 58 yard field goal in, in high school. He's got a big leg. So all we need right now is somebody to kick it into the end zone and to have Colt back for the actual field goal kicking and extra points. That's huge. I mean, we went from two seasons ago having six or seven kickers that none of them could make it to having, you know, an all big 10 kicker. So that's the kind of improvement that we need to see next season with the other units on special teams. It's almost the worst probability to have six kickers that can't do it. <laughs> you know, like, wow, that's, that's, yeah. that seems unusual. Kind of amazing, really. Isn't it? Out of you six, know. none of you? Wow. To top it off, I mean, I could see Cerny being a potential kickoff guy, too, if he's got a big yep. leg, right? Uh, that's the thing with the, the high school kickers. I don't know. I mean, does high school kickers have a different tee or anything that makes it easier for them to kick off? compared to college right? i think the only difference at the high school level is i think they kick it five yards further up but still to your point i mean if you're kicking it out of the end zone you're at the high school level and it's five yards up then you should be able to get into the end zone at the college level too so right. um, that's just math yeah <laughs> it's science <laughs> that's why we have honky on the red cap he's good folks. though he seemed broke that down so quick I don't, I like thank it. you yeah, it's basic edition. The hypotenuse of a kick. <laughs> and now, around the Van Horn. All right, we're back, and it's uh, around the Van Horn. 
the baseball team, uh, if you haven't heard, they're number one right now in the Big Ten. One game still ahead of Michigan. They're playing a real fun brand of ball. And uh, I had the fortune last weekend to take Kathy and Alex uh, to the first game of the season and our first sporting event uh, in over a year easily for the Huskers. So it was a lot of fun to be out there at Haymarket Park uh, to see them get the victory on the, the series against Maryland. They took two of three. And uh, they're just playing some good ball right now. Dave, I guess, what are your initial thoughts when uh, when you're seeing the Huskers out there? Yeah, well, that's a good description, you know. I mean, I think they're finding a lot of different ways to, to win baseball games. Uh, they won uh, the Friday night game, I think, 6-2. Uh, Cade Povich is definitely proving out to be a worthy uh, Friday starter for Nebraska. That's a good sign. You're going to need that when it comes to uh, postseason play. Uh, struggling a little bit right now um, with uh, we seem to be losing game two as a series right now. So hopefully chance Roach kind of gets that turned around. Uh, but uh, Shea Shanneman has looked great on Sundays. Um, I think he had 11 strikeouts uh, and went deep into the uh, game that you watched until we had some, some drama there a little bit, some controversy with some uh, hit batsmen that uh, Will Bolt uh, took um, difference with and actually got thrown out. But uh, this team can score in so many different ways. Ended up kind of blowing out Maryland after that kind of uh, uh, little skirmish there on Sunday on the seventh. So fun team to watch. Uh, they play Will Bolt style baseball. They can also hit the thing out of the park. We saw that with uh, Bryce Matthews. He's the one that broke the game open on Sunday with a, a grand slam. That's a true freshman out of Texas uh, doing that for us. So um one through nine, they can they can score a lot of runs. And you're right, they're in first place in the Big Ten. So hopefully they can keep it up. You go back to the Van Horn era, and there was always some Nebraska kids that were littered throughout the roster that were all making plays. And to see Max Anderson out there, the Millard West kid, there was a point in the game on Sunday where uh, we needed to get some outs. And they get Jake Bunsen there at pitcher, Alcorn South. That was something I know kind of during some of the Erstad years, it seemed like we were losing some in-state kids Bolt has definitely put the kibosh on that. I mean, it's going to be hard for in-state kids to leave right now with Will Bolt here. And then when they get here, we're seeing them produce too. It's not just, you're not just filling up a spot. You're out there on the field and you're, you're making plays. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, Kate Povich is a, a local kid who went off to Juco to Arizona and, and Bolt brings him back. We have Logan Foster guy who comes in from Texas A&M. We expect, him to be a big role, uh, play a big role in this team. And he's actually not seeing a lot of playing time because the depth is so good. So that's uh, not, not to say that you're not going to see some Logan Foster at some point because, you know, mm-hmm. some of these freshmen may hit hit a wall at some point and you're going to need someone with some experience to get some, some games in there. But uh, yeah, you're seeing a lot of Nebraska kids contribute. Absolutely. Boomer, uh, what are your thoughts as you've been uh, following this baseball team uh, over the course of the season? Well, I think you guys have hit on a lot of it. It's just fun to see, like you said, the bolt ball, the aggressive hitting, the the aggressive base running. You know, this is a team that's stealing home, you know, in games. They're taking advantage of those chances to to hit. You know, when they're facing questionable pitching staffs, they're getting a crap load of hits on them. You know, we tore Minnesota up. You know, they're, they're not a good pitching staff. We're taking advantage of that. Uh, it, it just makes it fun to watch. You know, you're not concerned. You're not, you know, upset they're losing. You know, if they have an error, they rebound. You know, they fall behind in games. You're never worried that they don't have a chance to rally. I mean, even in games they've lost, teams build leads. They're able to come back and battle back. They're not getting blown out of any of these games. So you always have confidence that 
they're always in a game. So keeps you watching, gives you confidence with everything going forward. And it's refreshing, I think, to, to see a team like that here in Nebraska. You know, Dave, when I posed the question earlier in the season, it was towards the postseason, what would it take to get in there? And you kind of said, generally speaking, if we could be a top three or four team, it would at least get us into the conversation. Well, right now, we're not just a top three or four team. We're leading the conference. And so that people don't forget, coming into the preseason here, we weren't ranked in the top six in the preseason polls of the conference, right? I mean, so this what this team is doing right now, this was not expected. We're further ahead, further along than we probably thought we would be at this point in the Bolt era. Fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, there's a lot more unknowns on our roster than some of these other teams, right? I mean, it it made sense that the Big Ten coaches thought more of a Michigan or Ohio State or Indiana that had a lot more known players on their roster where Bolt really did rebuild his, his roster mm-hmm. to a significant nature. Now, I mean, there are lots of key players like Joe Acker or Schwellenbach, but there's a, a bunch of new names here and they have produced uh, early and often. So that's a difference. You look at that, that kind of preseason top six and they got a lot of that, right. They got, got Michigan, right. Ohio state, right. Iowa, Indiana. I think Maryland was probably in that top six and uh, Maryland was a worthy competitor um, last weekend. So that they weren't that far off, but they definitely missed on Nebraska. Right. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. In Nebraska, we still do have to play Indiana and Michigan late in the season, but Nebraska has had some success against teams that are in that top six initially, specifically Maryland now, Iowa, a couple wins at least against Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State is actually at the best RPI of the bunch now at 35, Um, and then I think Michigan is in the 50s and and Iowa in the low 60s with Nebraska at 74, so – um, considering they're only playing all conference schedules right now, that's not bad. And if Nebraska can take care of business here that over the next couple of weeks with a little bit more of the middle tier, we got Penn state and Michigan state, both on the road. Um, then you kind of gear up, uh, you do have uh, Rutgers, but then you have Indiana and then you're really starting to build towards, um, some, some key series at the end of the year where if you can win enough games, your RPI is going to be in good shape. And not only are you um, trying to win a conference title, because there's no no conference tournament anyway, but you are now trying to position yourself from a seating perspective in the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament. Hey, guys, if I could just break in here for a second. I was thinking as you were talking about this season as it's going along, in the NCAA basketball scene, getting into the tournament is sort of your litmus test of having a good season. What's the bare minimum entry level of a good season for Nebraska right now? Is it a regional? Is would that be would that be a comparable to getting into the dance? Or am I am I off on that? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's the same scenario. That's a 60-14 tournament. Okay. You know, in basketball, there's obviously this playing games, but there's a 64-team tournament in baseball. So it's the same equivalent. And then if you would make a a super regional, it's like making the Sweet 16. Okay. Right. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, even, you know, Erstad is, was consistently getting us into the tournament, right? I mean, three of his last four years, that type of thing. And so um, what we'd like to do is obviously continue to make the tournament, but maybe finally make some noise and see if we could actually break through and get to a super regional. Okay. 
baseball is a kind of a, a different animal. You know, you look at certain things, it's, it's pretty analytical, you know, is the pitching, right. Is the, is the hitting, right. Are you looking at this team? You know, we played an all conference schedule. Are you buying what they're, what they're putting out there? Does this look like a team that not necessarily you can get behind because we're going to get behind any Husker team, but is this is a team that's, that's got a chance to, to make any kind of run or any kind of noise. Well, I mean, you can get your hopes up right now. Why not? Because it's just, it's almost impossible to compare any Big Ten team versus teams outside of the Big Ten at this mm. present moment, right? I mean, you can kind of look at it from a talent evaluation and say, hey, do you have guys that can can throw high 90s and do you have guys that are going to hit 400-foot home runs, et cetera, and then say, well, I mean, that should translate versus anyone. Um, but since we haven't seen any non-conference games, typically we would have already played Cal State Fullerton or Arkansas or somebody at this point. And you could say, hey, you know, we we're competitive or not competitive versus those teams. Uh, we just don't have it this year. So the RPIs are really hard to judge. It's also really hard, I would think, for the NCAA selection committee to figure out how they're going to actually um, kind of arrange some of the news that came out last week was that the NCAA is going to have set locations for the regionals. So they haven't determined where those are at yet, I guess. But um, that, I mean, you, you could make the case that Nebraska could bid for that. And if Nebraska's even as a two seed might be able to host just because, you know, we would have the right facilities and mm. set up to, to host a four team tournament. Um, so that could be a big deal because now suddenly if you somehow could host, you have the home field advantage and that could be a game changer. How refreshing though, to be in a position now where we're front running and having mm-hmm. to figure out how to deal with that towards the end of the season, as opposed to clawing up and trying to figure out how we could just salvage some kind of wreckage of a year. I mean, that's fantastic in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just last week I was seeing the projections. We were three, I think in, in one of the projections I saw online and that was out of four teams, I think from the big 10 that were, being listed. So, I mean, the big 10, the value of it has increased over the years. It's not just a one or two bid league anymore, but Dave, I had a question for you about RPI. I've had the same thing in basketball before you said right now we're in the seventies. So to start off being in the seventies, kind of where does that put us in general? And then the next question is with away games coming up the next couple of weekends, do they weigh those different home versus away in how the RPI gets ranked. Do you know, cause I know they do that in basketball, but I, I'm not sure how that gets affected in the baseball realm. Yeah. Yeah. So in a typical year, seventies would not be a good sign. You'd want your RPI in the fifties or below. Um, I, I want to say, I, I want to say it was like USC a couple of years ago, or maybe even longer than that got in and as with an RPI in the seventies, but it's very rare. So you okay. run an RPI in the uh, the fifties or, or forties, ideally, typically when we've made it as an at large, we've had an RPI in the thirties or forties. Um, but this year, again, it, m- it might just be a completely different game from that selection committee standpoint, because it's just hard to know with the, how the RPI it works Yes, in baseball, they actually um, were the first to actually give more credence to away games because the the northern schools played so many of their February games on the road. And so to give them a little bit of an advantage, they weighted those those road victories more than home games. So, yeah, it, it does count. I mean, the key here is with like Penn State and Michigan State, the series coming up over the next two weeks are both road games. 
RPI is not great on either one of those opponents. Um, we just need to win ball games there. Ideally, you sweep both of them. It's probably not realistic, but you'd love to, you know, go five out of six or something like that. Uh, because the reality is Michigan is playing Minnesota this week and they're probably going to sweep Minnesota. Right. So mm-hmm. it's great to play as a front runner, but uh, you also have uh, the Wolverines nipping on your heels and they're going to going to keep on doing that all the way to the last um, weekend of the regular season. All right, guys. Well, uh, I always like talking baseball, so that was great. Um, hopefully we can take care of the Nittany Lions in Happy Valley uh, this weekend. We've had good success there before. I think when we won our uh, regular season conference title a couple of years ago, we clinched mm-hmm. um, at, at Happy Valley. So let's see if we can do that. Keep that up, I guess. Let's go to our parting shot, Sonky, and get out of here. And I'll start with Boomer. Well, I just kind of wanted to give one last shout out to uh just spring ball here and just uh, some comments from uh, Cam Taylor Britt. I just loved what he was saying about, you know, he's ready to play defense, special teams, offense, whatever is needed. I love the throwback to one platoon ball back in the old days and never <laughs> leaving the field. So good job there. Uh, Walter Bubby Booth looks down and smiles on you, Cam. So. <laughs> very true. Very true. How about you, Mac? Well, I'd just like to invite any red casters uh, in Lincoln here to come swing by, you know, right field park when, uh, Little Mac, Sully McGuire, is, is playing some flag football. The other day, he hit somebody with a dead leg and then gave him the sauce and, and burst it <laughs> upfield. He told me, he told me as he broke into the field, he's like, yeah, Dad, once I broke in the open field, I just hit my speed burst, and I took <laughs> off. And I was like, oh, that's awesome, man. You have a speed burst? <laughs> my my speed it. burst is hamstring pull. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give me one of those. Yeah. Uh, and hockey. Well, I have a couple as, as usual, but uh, first one, this goes to uh, Dave and Boomer. You guys are on the BetCast and ESPN and NBC. They're stealing our name. Have you seen this? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's so unlike a Disney property to take somebody else's uh, work and polish it off as their own. <laughs> Could have foreseen that coming. Anyways, thought that was interesting. Uh, my second one here, and this is, you know, Dave, you get to to have the pride of having one of uh, the kids from your alma mater, uh, Ernest Hausman, he's coming to Nebraska. Well, now us SCOTAs guys, I'm really proud of Garrett Oakley. He uh, just committed a, a week ago to Northern Illinois. He's a 6'5", 205-pound wide receiver slash tight end. So, again, this is the state of Nebraska has a lot of talent, but just our hometown of Columbus, that's two guys from that same town going D1. I mean, that's pretty darn impressive for a town of 20,000 people there. Next, uh, Minnesota, I was paying attention to the Frozen Four, and Minnesota had three of the top four teams that were in the Frozen Four, and none of them won the national title. So uh, St. Cloud State, Minnesota, Duluth, Minnesota State, they all lost. Uh, Massachusetts came out with, uh, with the victory there. Just thought that was interesting, and it was uh, I was on Twitter and saw some Minnesota people that were kind of lamenting that. And speaking of Twitter, the last thing is Sam Amico. He wrote that very interesting numbers here. Only 7% of Americans use Twitter. Of that, 52% with a profile never tweet. That means all tweets come from the same 3.36% of our population. And Richard Fitzwell, of course, said, and approximately 3.36% of our population can't think of anything besides Husker sports. And uh, as I was reading that, Mac, I, I thought about how we've talked a number of times about how Twitter doesn't represent Husker Nation. It's not big enough. There's not enough people on it to represent it. But there's actually some stats that probably yeah. say it really doesn't represent us. 
I mean, 85% of all statistics are made up, right? 60% of the time it works you know, every time. But that, that number seems ridiculously low, 7%, but maybe it's true. I don't know. But I do stand by what they said. Stop letting Twitter shape the narrative. And I get tired of journalists telling me how Husker fans feel. If you want to listen to how Husker fans feel, tune into the Redcast. Listen to Husker fans. Yeah. Jeez, man. Absolutely. But follow us on Twitter. So. <laughs> We're not journalists, Michael. They're both, really. <laughs> All right, guys. Great show. Enjoy the talk. Hockey, I'm jealous. Enjoy uh, the practice on Saturday. Me too, bro. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. GBR. A Huda Media Production.